It's time for WAKR's This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Cartridge World in North Canton, your home for copiers, printers, and supplies. This week, the Biden administration announced that Ohio is included in one of seven clean hydrogen hubs that will be located around the country in hopes of jumpstarting the use of a more green energy source that can be used in a number of different industries, including transportation. Some of the businesses and organizations involved in this new effort are either located in or operate here in Northeast Ohio, including Dominion Energy, Cleveland State University, and the Stark Area Regional Transit Authority in Canton. We talked to SARTA CEO Kirk Conrad about how being part of the Appalachian Regional Clean Hydrogen Hub will help them expand and improve their fleet which already has more than 20 buses powered by hydrogen fuel cells. The hydrogen hubs were actually part of the Biden's administration, $50 billion hydrogen earth shot, where they wanted to get the price of hydrogen down to a dollar per kilogram from its current, about $9 or $10 a kilogram. And the whole reason really for this is that hydrogen is the key element that we're going to use as humanity to decarbonize. And I kind of say that in in an overarching way, but hydrogen can be used to substitute coke and steel. It can be used to make concrete. It can be used to store energy without the use of lithium ion batteries. So really, it's the key element that we need to use to move a lot of our industrial and transportation processes to a more sustainable method that doesn't use oil, doesn't use fossil fuels, that doesn't emit carbon dioxide. So this is actually probably one of the biggest steps that any country in the world is taking right now to do this. So it's it's really exciting that we get to be involved in really the ground floor of a whole new industry that's going to be taking shape. That sounds interesting to me. Now, I had read, and I don't know whether this is a valid criticism or not, you tell me, but I had read that there's some people that say, well, it's great that we're going to be using hydrogen as a source of energy. But in order to kind of crack that, to get the hydrogen to work, you have to use fossil fuels to make that process happen. And so it kind of cancels out the good of it. Is that true or false? I guess where you need to start with is that You know, hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, but it doesn't exist independently. It's it's either a part of something else. And so you you have to form it. And right now, 95% of hydrogen is is produced from natural gas. However, you can start getting into how hydrogen is produced and they they actually kind of call it different colors. So there's there's green and gray and blue and turquoise and all kinds of different colors. Uh, and pink that actually talk about what the input energy that is used to create the hydrogen. And so you can use electricity, uh, renewable energy to, to to split the water molecule. You can use nuclear to, to do the same thing. You could use what's called carbon capture then off of gray hydrogen to make it what they're called blue. So there's ways that we can take steps to eliminate the CO2 or the carbon dioxide. If, if you think about it, it's taken what, 300 years to get to the point where we've got an industrial-based society around fossil fuels. And it's just not going to change 
overnight. So what we need to start doing is taking incremental steps to improve that. I mean, if you look here at Sarda, what we've done is we literally don't have any diesel buses in our fleet anymore. They're either natural gas or hydrogen. So 20% of our, our fleet is hydrogen. And if we don't take those incremental steps to getting to better, we'll never get there. And while sometimes I think some of the critics want everything perfect now, but you know you can't get everything perfect now, you got to start making steps to do that. And I think this, this hydrogen hub idea of what we're doing, if you look around the country, the ones that were funded, a couple of them are based on natural gas as a feedstock, which the one we're involved in is West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio does use natural gas as a feedstock for some of it, but there's also renewable natural gas, there's 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 electrolyzers, there's all that stuff. But I, I think is, is, is we're going to move into a, a less carbon intensive economy uh, we're going to have to take those steps to eliminate. You're just not going to flip a switch tomorrow and and not use it at all. But I think that hydrogen it's part of the answer to decarbonization. But there's other things like you know better building standards, better use of transportation, electrification of that. So there's a number of things that of steps that can be done, and hydrogen is part of that answer. Okay, that sounds great. So the idea is we're going to move towards a less carbon intensive future. And we're going to take some steps along the way to get there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think ultimately, if you think about it, we're probably never going to eliminate all carbon emissions. That's just, There's going to be natural ones. It's going to happen. So what we need to do is take steps to eliminate the intensity and to eliminate those uses is ultimately is what we have to do. And this, this is a part of that step along the way. That sounds reasonable. So as we move along there, for people who don't really understand what it is that SARTA is doing with its buses and how they work and why they are greener than other kinds of buses. I wonder if you could explain how that works. And then once we kind of get through that process, explain what being part of this hub means to you. Sure. So transportation is the largest CO2 emitter sector of our society, moving things. So so just taking, even if we're using gray hydrogen, so to speak, moving from a fossil fuel to, to, to fuel cell electrification, actually that step alone, by doing that step alone, our fleet, we've eliminated 1,700 tons of CO2 emissions on an annual basis. So, I mean, just using that gives you a measurable impact on your CO2 emissions. And so what we're using is hydrogen that goes into a, a thing called a fuel cell. A fuel cell is basically a chemical mechanism then that converts hydrogen into electricity. So what happens is there's a, a plate and then an insulator. If you can imagine, you've probably seen the, the Tesla batteries and that kind of stuff in a battery stack. Well, it's the same thing with a fuel cell. It's got an insulator, an active plate insulator. And so what happens is Hydrogen comes in one side, oxygen comes in the other side, it hits the plate, reacts, ejects an electron, and then creates water. So the byproduct of that entire process is electricity and water. So you're able to create electricity without burning anything. There's nothing that's burnt. It's completely zero emission. And that's then what powers our buses. Then the electricity goes to electric drivetrains, and that's what powers a vehicle. So literally, a fuel cell vehicle is an electric vehicle like a battery vehicle, but the difference is how the energy is created, stored, and transported. Here's an odd question, maybe, but I'm imagining a bus that's powered by this, and the emission is water. Is yep. it emitted in the 
form of a vapor that you can't see, or is it kind of like a little trail of water droplets that goes along the pavement behind the bus? There's both, actually. The operating temperature of the fuel cell is about 164 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're going to have some vapor. The total water emitted through the process is about a liter per mile, so to speak. So it's not, you know, like creating like an ocean behind the vehicle. It's, it's, right. it's more uh, like a, you know, a trail. Okay. So yeah. I was just imagining because, you know, when you're behind a car, maybe that's burning a lot of oil and, you know, it's, it's in bad shape. You see the dark cloud you know, coming up. And then I was just imagining a bus and it's maybe got just this little water droplets dripping out of it. So it sounds like that that's the way that it, it is. And that's a quite a bit, a different visual kind of image in your mind, right? Yeah. I kind of imagine the amount of water comes out of your air conditioner, you're driving your car in the summer. That's kind of what it is. Okay. So now that Canton, your area has been chosen to be part of this quote unquote hydrogen hub, what does that all mean other than maybe that you're going to get some federal funds and if you're going to get some funds you know how much are they and what are you going to use them for there's about 18 different projects in the three-state area that is looking at everything from generating electricity to making steel to actually then producing hydrogen and what we will be doing here is is actually producing hydrogen on site for our vehicles and then for offtake to other hydrogen consumers. So basically what we'll end up being, if you could imagine like a distribution location for hydrogen, our area is kind of what we will be doing around that. Oh, okay. So maybe out near your bus barns, you'll have some sort of facility that will be kind of essentially making your own fuel, right? Exactly. Oh. Okay. So do you have to build that or do you already have that? We have some infrastructure in place now, but what this grant funding will allow us to do is build that additional infrastructure out. How much grant funding did you get? So there was about a billion dollars that was granted overall. We're probably looking at a project between 20 and $50 million here in the Canton area. And then there's some other funding we're going to put into it from other sources. So we're kind of still in the initial design phase. You don't go too far to get your grant money going down the design phase. But now since it's there, we'll move into more engineering and, and cost estimation. So it's probably in that range there now. Okay. So I'm imagining a big building and what you would have like big water tanks there and the water would then be converted somehow into hydrogen fuel. Is that how it would work? Is that what you would use for the fuel? I mean, to convert it, is that what you would be converting essentially? Yeah, I mean, we, we, the water actually would just probably come from the city, the city uh, water supply. The main storage that would have to be on site would be hydrogen that you make. So that would be the tanks that you would see here. We're probably looking at a process of using what's called an electrolyzer. They use electricity to generate the hydrogen. There's a couple of different technologies we've looked at, but that's probably the one we're going to go with. So the IRS and the Department of Energy are still working on final rules of some tax credits and that stuff to see how things work. You know, sometimes when you get two federal agencies together, it takes a while to figure out what's going on. So we're still waiting on that to see exactly what technology is the most beneficial under the tax code. This funding comes through both the infrastructure bill and the Inf Inflation Reduction Act. There's two different bills that actually put funding in, in for this. So part of the funding will get through this grant and the hydrogen hub. The other ones will come through the, the tax code through the, the Infrastructure Reduction Act. And there's some also ones from the U.S. Department of Transportation that will be asked. So there's a lot of different moving parts on the funding that comes together 
but most likely the most cost-effective technology will be that electrolyzer using electricity to uh, create hydrogen. Imagine that I'm a neighbor that lives, you know, a block away or a few blocks away, and I know that they're going to be building this big plant and it's going to have something that they're going to make fuel in. Would I need to be concerned that it's combustible or is it not? Now, we actually have a very similar facilities on, t- on site now. We actually have 11,000 gallon hydrogen tank on site now. It'd be the same level of you know, I don't think it's really any increased exposure other than creating the hydrogen through the, the process and storing it. And really, the, the electricity splitting water is, is, is a pretty known process. They've used it for a long time. So I don't think it's really any increased safety issues than the neighborhood we see here now. So in terms of like flammability or whatever, I mean, hydrogen is different than storing gasoline or something on site, right? Yeah. So first of all, gasoline, any of these things are flammable and have safety issues. And so you have to you have to mitigate the safety issues around it. So really with, with gasoline, so to speak, if it's in your car, the risk is really from the engine down to the floor, so to speak. That if you get some a leak or something like that on the vehicle or that it could become flammable. So you want to mitigate that. With hydrogen, the danger is really from the roof or the ceiling down. Um, what you don't want to have, have happen if there is a leak where that a pocket could be created somewhere in your building or in your vehicle that traps enough hydrogen that could, it could ignite. So there's a lot of things we take into consideration with ventilation, with fans, with with sensors and that stuff to, to ensure that there's not a buildup of hydrogen in the air. The other thing, too, is when you like compare it to like natural gas molecule, Hydrogen is 48 times lighter than natural gas. So as soon as it's released, it wants to escape. And so it, it literally, it wants to dissipate as fast as it can and, and bond with something else. So from that perspective, it's really difficult to try to get that level of hydrogen in an area that it could ignite. And the events that we have seen nationally it usually occurs during fueling, either from a truck to a tank or from a vehicle to the tank. It's usually where that happens. And so around that is where we put a lot of safety protocols, a lot of various mechanisms to ensure that that leak doesn't occur. Okay. How many buses do you have now and how many of them are hydrogen? So I have about 100, 110 vehicles. We have 21 that are hydrogen. We are getting another bus in later next year, so it'll take us up to, what, 22. Really part of the issue that we're, we're having, I can get anything. I can get a 60-foot bus or a 40-foot bus, but I can't get a smaller pair of transit, kind of like you would see a scat bus running around Akron. It looks like an airport shuttle. We actually have the first ones in the country we developed, and so we're trying to help that market expand by offering more products. And assuming that we get more of those, we'll buy more of those in the future. So really, our transition to that technology is more limited just by what's available in the market. And, you know, we're starting to see more and more offered. But as, as more and more cities, occur, you know, California has a zero emission mandate for transit coming up here in 2035. There's some other states that have it. So the market's going to have to react to that new requirement which will allow us to get more and more vehicles that are hydrogen, so to speak. I see. Once you get this facility built then, and you have the capacity to fuel more vehicles, whether they're long or short, what's the end goal? Would it be to completely replace your fleet or at least do it by 50% or 80% by a certain date? Yeah, we don't have a hard date. I think our first goal was to 
to move away from diesel altogether. Really on the streets now, there's virtually no diesel vehicles. We have a few that kind of straggle around at a contingency fleet if something happens. But I think we want to increase that number as high as we can with vehicles available in the market. We haven't set it to hard gold just because of lack of equipment. So I think it's safe to say we'll increase our percentage of hydrogen buses as fast as the market will allow us to. You mentioned that there were three states. So Ohio, West Virginia, what other state was that? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay, so that's kind of the Appalachian region as far as this tech hub goes. And you also mentioned that there's a certain amount of a supply chain issue in terms of these types of vehicles. So I'm wondering if you know whether some of this tech hub money for hydrogen is going to extend to states where maybe they make those buses to kind of incentivize the number of vehicles that would actually be able to use this fuel as well. I would say it's safe to say that there's component partners that are a part of it that go into them. I think the biggest thing is is looking at the fuel cell and looking at the production of, of how you make the hydrogen. And there are partners within this hub that do that. So we'll be looking at the supply chain of components that will go into it. But as of going to a specific bus manufacturer, no, but the components that go into it, yes. Oh, okay. Because realistically speaking, I suppose if you're making the chassis of a bus, then as long as you have a structure that the fuel cell can be put onto, you could probably use any kind of bus, right? Really, it's when you're making a larger vehicle like that, the electrified chassis, the electrified battery packs, all of those are just components that go into the final assembly of the vehicle. So it's really it's really getting those components cheaper, getting those components more available. That's really the main issue. So to wrap up then, we're talking, what did you say, a 30 to $50 million project that will start when? Uh, we're looking at probably... 26, probably, um, of actually going into the ground. The federal funds, you know, anytime you're dealing with federal funds, it takes a while to get everything. They make the announcement, and then a year later, you hear something. That's kind of the track we're on. So we'll, we'll start doing some of the, the project engineering and that stuff with our partners over the next probably 12 months. I will tell you one thing that we're doing some expansion of our existing facility, and some of the tanks had literally had a year lead time because of supply chain issues. So not only are you dealing with a federal slowness, but you're dealing with just slowness in the components. So that's probably a 26, we'll probably start seeing some activity happen. It sounds like this is kind of a long-term project and we're moving along this route and this is the direction that you think we ought to be going in. I know that Canton is like one of the only places in the state that has this. Once this kind of gets more mainstream, do you anticipate then that it's going to be moving into the other cities in the state like Akron, Cleveland, Dayton, et cetera? So we've had discussions. Columbus has been here, Cincinnati, Cleveland's been here. Detroit is is scheduling trips. Pennsylvania is, Pittsburgh's been here. So there's a lot of interest in the region, in the technology, and people wanting to see it. People are starting to do their own planning, moving into electrification of, of their transportation. So yeah, we've seen a lot more interest. And actually across the country, you're seeing Las Vegas, Los Angeles, New York even starting to move into, into fuel cells. That was Stark Area Regional Transit Authority CEO Kurt Conrad. And I'm Jean Destro. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. This has been This Week in Tech with Gene Destro on WAKR, brought to you by Cartridge World in North Canton.